Good morning, everyone. Happy Easter. Christ is risen. Hey, you still remembered from last week. We get to celebrate Jesus' resurrection for seven weeks. That's how long the Easter season lasts. And, really, every Sunday, because that's the day that he was raised. We're nearing the, stre- the home stretch of our deep dive into Romans, Paul's longest and most in-depth letter. So will you please pray with me as we begin? Heavenly Father, thank you for the good gift, the great gift that is good government. Make us repent of the ways that we demonize people on the other side of the political aisle. Help us show respect and honor to the leaders in our families, our community, and our government. Shape our leaders of today and tomorrow into godly men and women who seek after your heart. We ask it in the name of Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I invite you to open your Bibles uh, to Romans chapter 13 is where we are today. Um, And if you're going to use one of the pew Bibles that's in front of you, it's on about page 1764. Uh, You have to go past, you know, in the New Testament, go past Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts, and then you get to Romans chapter 13. Paul has explored how the gospel reveals God's righteousness. It creates a new humanity and fulfills God's promise to Israel and unifies the church. So today, in chapter 13, Paul is talking politics. You know the saying, if you want to get along with people, never talk about two things, religion and politics. Yeah, so today we're launching into dangerous territory because we're going to talk about both of them. (laughs) Politics has become a bad word today. I don't know about you, but I dread the presidential election cycle that happens every four years. It seems to bring out the worst in people. It's like this long power struggle and that results in nasty arguments that divide families and our communities and our nation. But the word politics actually comes from a uh, Greek word, polis, uh, like Indianapolis. Polis means city. So Indianapolis means Indiana City. Politics has to do with how we organize our shared life together. And what can be more vital than that? Here in America, we sometimes forget how good we have it. Our political process is argumentative, but for the most part, peaceful. In too many places around the world today, political negotiations are done with a fist or a bribe or an assault rifle. Maybe it's no wonder that politics um, have become more divisive in recent years. Our movies and our culture emphasize that the winner takes all. Um, We should take what's ours. We should get even whenever we can. And 
or do one to others before they do one to you. I don't think that's how that phrase is supposed to be. Revenge is a vicious cycle. Violence only breeds more violence. Remember in uh, Romans 12 that we read last week, Paul says, don't take revenge for yourselves. God will repay. God wins, not just on the other side of the grave, but here and now. God has agents on earth as well. So Paul begins Romans 13 by saying that we must respect authority. He says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. All right, so I can hear both sides of the aisle saying, wait a minute, Paul. You don't know what those Democrats are doing. You don't know what those Republicans are proposing. They're going to ruin our country. Remember, Paul wasn't talking about Democrats and Republicans. He was talking about Rome, a global empire ruled by an emperor who called himself a god with armies that crushed and crucified anyone who opposed them. Yet Paul insisted that even corrupt superpowers ultimately get their authority from God, who is the source of all what they do with that authority is what matters. Take parents, for example, the first authority that we experience in life. God places us in families with parents for a reason. They take care of us. They provide for us. They love us. They raise us and shape us into the people that we become. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree, for good or for bad. And so God gives us a commandment that protects that relationship, the fourth commandment. Read it with me. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. In his small catechism, Luther goes on to explain this fourth commandment and shows how it applies to everyone in authority over us. He says, well, there we go. We should fear and love God so that we do not show contempt to our parents and others in authority, nor provoke them to anger, but respect, obey, serve, love, and honor them. In his large catechism, uh, Luther even expands on this a little bit more. He says, parents and others in authority over you are God's representatives. Out of the authority of parents, all other authority is derived and developed. God has attached to this commandment a beautiful promise that you may have long life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. God has given us parents and government 
so that we might live and flourish. As kids, we wouldn't live long without our parents or without a functioning government. I mean, just look at the nations who don't have a government that works well and the chaos and the disarray that they are in. Luther continues by saying, through civil, through civil rulers, as through our own parents, God gives us food, house, and home, protection, and security. Those who are obedient, willing, ready to serve, and cheerfully give honor where it is due, know that they please God and receive joy and happiness for their reward. On the other hand, if they will not do so in love, but despise or rebelliously resist authority, they shall have no favor or blessing from God. Okay. So, what then about resisting corrupt authorities like the Nazis, who were murdering millions of people? Hitler's cronies used Romans and other Bible passages to make the claim that they were God's established authority and therefore to be obeyed without question. Many German pastors at the time were afraid to speak up and went along with the Nazis' demands. But others, like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, resisted. Bonhoeffer was part of a plot to assassinate Hitler which didn't work. He was imprisoned and eventually executed by the Nazis. It took an entire world war to bring an end to the corrupt Nazi regime. Well, in our Bible reading challenge, we just finished the book of Judges. It's this tragic story of Israel's downward spiral into immorality and idolatry. Even their leaders got gradually worse and worse. They became arrogant and violent and immoral. And yet, all the way through it said whenever God raised up a judge, he poured his Holy Spirit into that person so that they could deliver God's people. And yet, they went on to do horrible things as well. Being empowered by God's Spirit didn't excuse their bad decisions. After Joshua comes the story of 1 and 2 Samuel and 1 and 2 Kings, where we find that the kings were just as susceptible to sin as anyone. God even warned the Israelites ahead of time what the kings would be like that they would take advantage of them, that they would seek their own power and glory, and that they would use their people to their own purposes. But the people wanted a king anyway. They wanted to be like all the other nations. They thought, if we just had a king who could lead us into battle, then we would be a great nation. God said, okay, you're going to get a king then with everything else that comes with it. The Old Testament prophets resisted the corrupt leaders of their day and promised that God would bring judgment upon them. Whenever God's people and their leaders turned away from God, they experienced the consequences of their action. 
And God had to send these prophets that would call the people back, that would announce that God would bring judgment on those who had turned away from them. Well, Jesus' disciples resisted the authorities as well. In Acts 4, Peter and the others resisted the religious leaders when they tried to stop them speaking about Jesus and the resurrection from the dead. They continued to show kindness, heal people, and proclaim the good news even when it got them thrown in prison and beaten. They said, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to listen to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. A chapter later in Acts 5, after the disciples were arrested again by the religious leaders, they said, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So, with all these acts of resistance throughout Scripture, what do we make of Paul's words in Romans about submitting to the authorities? We have to look at how our rulers exercise their authority. They may have been given authority by God, but they also answer to God. Luther says, parents and other leaders should consider that they owe obedience to God. Our God is a God of justice who lifts up the oppressed. He will not abide evil and injustice in the world. The prophets continually confronted the powers that be when they neglected justice and oppressed the downtrodden. Are our rulers upholding the good? Are they maintaining order and health in in the community? Do they defend the weak and help people prosper? Paul goes on in Romans saying, rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. There's a reason that police carry guns. Not to abuse that power, but to use it to protect and defend. The authorities are to be God's servant for your good and for the common good. When the Turkish Empire was threatening to invade Europe, Luther said, I would rather be ruled by a good Turk than by a bad Christian prince. The question 
is how well our rulers rule. Even when we disagree with the direction of a, a particular or, uh, political organization or uh, somebody who's in charge, we shouldn't paint our political opponents as monsters or demons. Political ads and conventions often portray their candidate as the defender or savior of the nation. Um, they vilify their opponent as the worst possible choice. The truth is, candidates rarely live up to their promises or the hype that surrounds them, good or bad. I think Paul would tell us to know the limitations of our leaders, but still respect them and be responsible citizens. I think he'd urge us to participate in the political process, to find out about the issues, get involved, and vote. Voting is an amazing privilege and responsibility that few have had in the history of the world. We need to be grateful for the, great, for the gift that is good government. Paul says that we should pay our taxes appropriately enough for this season of the year in a few, with a few days coming from now, not just out of fear, but out of conscience. He says, yeah, we got to go back here. In verse 6, this is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. In our gospel reading today, the religious leaders tried to trip up Jesus by asking, is it lawful to pay the imperial tax to Caesar? Israel and most of the known world was under the thumb of Rome. Their taxes went to build roads and public buildings, but also to support the foreign army that was occupying their land. They held Israel with an iron grip. Taxes had to be paid. They had to be paid with coins like this, which are called a denarius. It was about a day's wages. And all of them had a picture, an image, of the current emperor on it. Not, you know, a dead president like we have, but the current guy in charge. Rather than in God we trust, their coins read, Caesar is Lord and God. Can you imagine how offensive that was to the Israelites who knew that there was only one true Lord and God? The religious leaders figured that Jesus would get in trouble whichever way he answered their question, is it lawful to pay taxes? Either he'd get in trouble for the Roman, with the Romans for saying, no, you shouldn't pay taxes, or he'd get in trouble with the Jewish people who didn't like paying those taxes. So Jesus asked for a coin. Now, he didn't have one on him. 
But apparently the religious leaders did. They had one of these blasphemous things on them right there in the temple grounds. They handed it to him. He looks at it and said, whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, the emperor's. And Jesus responded, then give to the emperor what belongs to the emperor, but give to God what belongs to God. Oh, that pretty much means everything, doesn't it? It's a way bigger perspective. God wants us to live together well, to pay our taxes, and to show each other honor and respect, especially the people that God has placed in authority over us. Luther goes on in the large catechism to say, parents and other leaders should consider that they owe obedience to God and that above all, they should not only provide for their children or subjects, but especially bring them up to the praise and honor of God. If we want qualified and capable people for both civil and spiritual leadership, we must spare no effort, time, and expense in teaching and educating our children to serve God and humanity. Because the fourth commandment is disregarded, Luther argues, God terribly punishes the world, and there is no longer any civil order, peace, or respect for authority. We all complain about this state of things, but we do not see that it is our own fault. Because of the way we train them, we have unruly and disobedient citizens. Wait a minute. When did Luther write that? 500 years ago? Sounds like he's talking about today. No wonder our world is such a mess. We've made it that way. It makes me all the more grateful to live here in Story City, where many people are very civically minded. There is tremendous support for our schools, our police, and our local government. But even here, people often say terrible things about those with whom they disagree. I have seen people blast one another on social media, write hateful emails, circulate anonymous letters, and shout each other down in public meetings. We have forgotten, as a culture, how to be civil civilians. Our politics have become more and more divided, angry, and bitter. We need to rediscover the art of public civil discourse where people speak thoughtfully and kindly about what they think is best for our life together. We have to relearn how to negotiate and work together toward common solutions. The art of politics always has to include compromise and a willingness to work together to address difficult problems and issues. Neither side has all the answers. We need to learn from and with one another. We need to reach across the aisle and work together. We cannot treat each other like enemies. A house divided against itself will fall. We have to seek first 
to understand, and then to be understood. God commands us to show respect and honor to one another, even to those we don't think deserve it. In another one of his letters, Paul says, outdo one another in showing honor. The verse that will start next week's lesson from Romans begins with this. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The love of Christ lived out changes people's hearts and changes the world. I am so grateful for our mayor, Mike and Patsy Jensen. They pour themselves out for our community. They're deeply involved in their church, and you can see their faith in how they live their lives. They aren't afraid of getting their hands dirty. I love how during the summer, where do you find Mayor Mike most days? Driving that big old tanker truck for trees forever and going around and personally watering every tree that has just been planted in the past year. They, he and Patsy both, live with such integrity and show such kindness to the people around them. You can see the love of Christ shining through them as a couple. God calls each one of us to honor our parents and others in authority. We are to model and pass on respect for our leaders. So let's pray for them and stand up for justice in respectful ways. Let's teach these things to the next generation so that we can flourish and live long in the world our God has given us. Amen.